I think, I think we need to say thank you to Porkchop as well. Um, besides with the work he's done here in the church, what he's done on the associational level of helping get everything together and set up and tear down, uh, guys and girls, I hope you know how much this bald-headed man <laughs> loves you because, uh, man, he puts in a lot of time for y'all. And uh just want to say thank you. Ah, we ain't done yet. Look, I'll make a deal with you. If you need to leave, I will not call you out. I will not call you later. I will not be mad. I love you. And I got something to say. Get your copy of God's Word. Turn to Romans chapter 10. According to this countdown clock, I've got four minutes. And if an iPad wasn't so expensive, I'd rip it off the pulpit and throw it in the baptistry. I'm not going to do that. That'd be awful violent. But I want to take just a few minutes to share something with you this morning. We've talked about one great creator, one great purpose, one great problem, one great savior. And this morning we talked for just a few minutes about one great commitment. One great commitment. You realize, how many of you made a decision this morning? You've already made a decision today. Anybody? Y'all are like, uh... Man, I thank God you got dressed, okay? Um, you, you made a decision this morning. What you going to put on? By the way, I love these events where we get T-shirts. I won't have to sweat so bad up here. Right, Todd? That's right. All right. Uh, well, researchers say that we make 70 decisions every day. That's 25,500 decisions each year. Uh, and over the course of a 70-year lifespan, that's right under 2 million decisions that we have to make. One of the greatest decisions that we could make in our lives is the decision to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard the gospel. We've heard over and over the gospel of Christ, and, and, and we, we consider what that means to our lives. And, and some of us remember hearing it as a child and making some sort of decision as a child, but that gospel uh, bearing weight on our lives has dissipated, and we've, we've walked away from it. Some of us have, have made some move. But we've never been transformed. And as we read Romans chapter 10 this morning, I want to challenge you with this one great commitment. That we consider the greatest need, the greatest good news, and the greatest decision you and I could ever make. Read with me chapter 10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up for the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, rescued, redeemed. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, black or white. There is no distinction between rich or poor. There is no distinction. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We think about this greatest need. Paul begins this, this chapter of Romans by saying this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. He looked upon his brethren. He looked upon those that he had spent a, a large portion of his life with. He'd studied side by side. He had thought like them. He had, he had lived like them. He had obeyed the law. He had uh, followed the religious system. And yet he looks at them and he says of them this thing, my, The greatest desire in my heart is that they would be saved. In Romans chapter 9, verse 3, Paul goes to this extent, if, if God would allow me, I would be accursed so that my brothers and sisters could enter the kingdom of heaven. Now folks, that's some care and concern about the souls of others. If, if, if I could, I would go to hell in their place so that they could be redeemed. That is love. He, he says that's his prayer for, for the people of Israel. And I need to ask you this morning, what is God's will? What is God's will for your life? Anybody ever asked that question? Anybody wondered what is it God would do in my life? Well, let's begin at this point. The will of God for your life in this day is that you be saved. It's not that you be a good church member. It's not that you be uh, a good tither. It's not that you be a good moral person. It's not that you pass all the tests that the church puts upon you. It's this, that you are born again child of God. You say, well, preacher, why are you talking to us about this? You talk about this all the time. Because I know in my heart, I know there are those in this room that have a form of religion Hello? They have a form of religion without the relationship that is found in Christ Jesus. Well, what, what, what are we talking about? Well, when you look at this, Paul is, is speaking of his people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He, he looks at his people and he recognizes that they still have this great need. Riley, when you, well, right, where are you, right? When you speak, man, nobody amen to you. You know why? Because everybody in the room said, ouch! How painful that is to realize, to hear that we are broken people. 
And when we come before each other as though we are all together and all made, we do a disservice to others, but we do a disservice to ourselves. Because if we don't act like we need support, guess how much support we get? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Y'all, we're broken. The wages of that sin is death. Romans 6, 23 says, we are broken. He, he's speaking specifically to the people of Israel, and he, he recognizes that they have knowledge. Not that they have, they, they have a form of knowledge. That is, that they had the, the law, they had uh, all of this that should have pointed them to the Messiah, but what they missed was that they did not have a knowledge at the heart level. It reminds me of a man by the name of Nicodemus. Y'all heard of Nicodemus, John chapter 3? comes to Jesus by night. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the people of Israel. And he comes to Jesus. He's got a question. He says, man, I know you're a good teacher. Jesus says, why don't you call me a good teacher? Well, you do all this stuff. You do all these things, these, these incredible miracles and things. And, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, you know what, Nicodemus, you, you need to be born again. Let's just get to the point, Nick. Let's just get right to the point. You got all this stuff going for you. You look good. You, I like your robe. Your hair's just right. You know what to say. You know how to pray. All the people in the community look at you and, and applaud your goodness. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. What? What? What are you talking about? What Jesus is getting to is this. He had a form without any substance. He had a facade without anything behind it. And, and, and so the, he has this knowledge, but he does not have real faith. They, they were zealous, Paul writes. They were zealous. That is, they were passionate about their, their religion. They were passionate about their system. They were passionate about the way they did things. Jesus said that passion does you no good without a relationship at the heart level with the Lord. You see, I think when you look at what Paul's talking about in verses 1 through three here, I think there, there's a mirror that we need to look at in our own lives, in our own church. The Jews, they were built on circumcision and temple attending and law abiding. It was the law. It was religious activity. It was religious traditions. And we as a church can be built on those same things. I walked the aisle when I was a child. I took the preacher's hand. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I went through the waters of baptism. And yet we can declare the goodness in all that we've done. And miss out on the one thing that matters. That is genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Genuine faith in the Lord. Why, why then weren't they saved already? Because God's plan, because God's plan of salvation had nothing to do with their works. It had everything to do with His finished work in the cross of Christ. Everything to do with His righteousness. You see, the righteousness of God is not imperfectly earned as we try to earn our salvation. We try to appease God. We try to make everything right with God. The salvation is not imperfectly earned. It's perfectly given by Almighty good God, loving Father. You see, that's the, that's the great need, the greatest need. The, great, the greatest good news is this. The disciple Paul, he, he begins to connect the dots for them. He connects the dots with saying, look, what, what needs to happen is near you. Verse 8, but what does it say? What does the Word say? What is this faith that they preach? <coughs> it is this, the Word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You know. I have no doubt if I, uh, if I interviewed everyone in this room, most everyone in this room could tell me 
the, the ABCs of salvation. Could tell me what Jesus Christ has done. Could tell me that he was, he was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. I have no doubt that everybody in here could tell me that. It's, it's close to your heart. It, it's close. You, you've heard it. You, you've heard it and it's close. Yet there's something, there's a disconnect that, that's missing in life. And so he connects these dots that it's not just about having that knowledge, not just about having that message close. It's this invitation to the gospel. What does he say, verse 9? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That invitation is twofold, to confess. What does it mean to confess? Most of us think that, that that's talking about a confession of sin. And, and, and yes, we are to confess and repent of our sin, but the reality is we're not talking about a confession of sin. We're talking about a confession to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No longer is it about us having control and us taking the necessary steps. It is a confession that we see Christ on high as Lord. And I confess this day that my life will be yielded under the authority of Christ. A confession of faith in Him. I trust Him. Confess. That if you confess with your mouth, how many of you can confess with your, with your mouth and your lips sealed? You know why the world's going to hell in the handbasket? Because the church thinks they can do their job without saying a word. Let that sink in a minute. Okay, well, confess. To confess this act of obedience, this public de declaration that, that my life, my focus, my, my, my heart is changed. For with the heart, one believes in the righteousness. He says, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead. Believe. For the, with the heart, one believes in the righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. This word believe is is not just to accept a fact. This, this word is, is to entrust oneself. We're not just accepting the fact that Jesus died for us and that He rose again because Mama said so or Daddy said so or the preacher said so. We are taking that fact and we are giving our lives. We're giving our lives to Him in our eternity to the Lord Jesus. When I was struggling with knowing whether or not I was saved, I would look at that, uh, that track and I would go through those ABCs and I would, I would look and I would say, yes, I've A, admitted. Yes, I've believed. B, believed. I've, yes, I see, confess my sins and I confess. And I was going through it with this, this heart. Yes, I have done all these things. But the moment my life changed was when I realized it did not matter one bit what I did. It was when I recognized and I laid myself on the fact that it was already done on Calvary. It's already done. And can we trust Him enough to just give our lives and our eternity to Him? When we say we believe, are you entrusting Yourself, because when we believe everything, to, we, we believe under righteousness. Jack, Noah, y'all come here. I told you, I got something to say. I got something to show. Jack, you're going to look good in this. Put that on. 
No, that one's yours. Oh, here, here, Jack. That's the rope. That, 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 yeah. Put them on, come up here. They have no idea what they're about to do. Surprise. But they did agree to do it. I want to show you something. By the way, if you go to Costa at this time, there typically is no seat. Um, so, uh, in, in an hour, in an hour, they should be open. Um, if you go to Ekru at this time, there's no food, so go somewhere else. Oh, that was ugly, wasn't it? That's just my experience. I'm sorry. It don't matter. It don't matter. You look good, Noah. Ooh. All right, now, I want to show you something. You're not going to be there long, okay? Unless I drink all this water, then you'll be there a while. It's good water, too. Okay, so, this is what he says. When we believe, we believe under righteousness. That is when we are granted faith. We are declared righteous before the Lord. I want you to see this exchange, Okay? You see, Jack in this beautiful white, the splendor, represents the righteousness of God. Now, look, Jack is no Jesus, right, Mom and Dad? He's representing, all right? In this white, the glorious righteousness of Christ, spotless, stainless, sinless. Noah, on the other hand, Noah is definitely no Jesus. This is dirty and stained. I know I want you to do something. I want you to get all, I want you to make this white. Scrub, scrub it up, dub. You need some bleach. Brother, I don't think it'll do it. Okay, so here. Here's what happens. There's no way in the world Noah can make this white, right? There's no way he can in of it of himself turn this into a white robe. Now, guys, you ready? Take them off. What happens, but don't run off. What happens, <laughs> oh, I love y'all. What happens, <laughs> yeah, okay, thank God Jesus is involved because Jesus got, his, got him loose from his sins, okay. What happens is this, when you and I, when you and I believe by faith, our sinfulness is placed on Jesus. Put it on. Right. Put it on right. Our sin is placed on Jesus. And he has taken that to the cross. But what he also does is this. The righteousness of Christ is taken from Jesus and placed on you see the exchange? Brother, you going to put that on? Put it on. Look, we, we don't put it on. It don't count. That's why we, he does it and we believe. We believe. And we receive. And no longer are we. Now, Jesus is not sinful. I don't want you all to get that picture. But he took that sin and he nailed it to the cross. And gives us his righteousness. Now, thank you guys. Can you get that off? 
All right, just, no, put it right there. Here, here, here. Hold that. Oh, we don't want to flash everybody. See, you see this picture? There's this incredible exchange. And it's not, it's not anything you and I can do. It's only when we allow Jesus to take our sins and to give us His righteousness. That's the greatest good news. So all the work you do, all the labor you do to try and win your way and make God happy and appease Him is all for naught. Because the righteousness that is by faith is life-changing, the work of Christ. The last thing is this, the greatest decision, the greatest commitment. Where does it begin? Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 11 says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I ask you this morning, what does whoever mean? God? Anyone. Everyone who by grace through faith receives Jesus can and will be saved. Use that word shall. I don't know if y'all know this. Shall is, is a word used often in the King James, New King James Version. That's stronger than will as, as, as interpreted as a might be. That word shall means it is an absolute definite. Will be saved. Who can confess? Who can be saved? Everyone. And it begins when we in the depths of our heart realize our lostness and we cry out to God for our salvation. Cole, would you hit play on that video? Now, I was asked um, to speak at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's um, national conference, and they wanted me to study and then present on what it's like in the Bible Belt. And here's where I'm really afraid for you, and, and I'm willing to say to you something you might not ever want to hear again and never come back because I'm about to say this. In the Bible Belt, churches are jam-filled with people who have no mark of being Christians on their lives other than the fact that they attend once a week. No obedience whatsoever. No desire for obedience. No relationship with Christ. No seriousness about God. Like this is it. You come, you check it, and you'll call yourself a Christian. And I want to lovingly tell you that if there's no desire for obedience and no obedience, you should not count yourself a Christian. You should consider yourself lost and in danger of damnation. And I know you might be going, well, that seems a little strong. How cruel would it be for me to pamper your religiosity when damnation's at stake? So you can go somewhere else. They'll talk to you about how awesome you are. But I need, compelled by the scriptures, to tell you you're playing a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous game. 
When you come and you sit and you listen to the things we say and you take no active steps of obedience, you're hardening your heart against the king of glory. What pleases God is obedience rooted in faith. Not perfect obedience because we can't do that. And that's the point of Christ and the cross. We're not going to be perfect, but we will stumble forward. And if you're not even trying to stumble forward, stop it. You're not a Christian. And I know you got baptized when you were seven and you were in RAs and your parents are Christian and you're from Texas. That does, none of that makes you a Christian. So I'm asking you because this question, heaven and hell is hinging on this question. Is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? Father, I thank you. Though we are broken people, you are a whole, complete Savior. And that, Lord, you and your wisdom choose, have chosen to give your Son to pay our penalty, our debt in exchange for your righteousness. And Lord, for those who by grace through faith have trusted you, today we stand before you covered in the blood, covered by your righteousness. Father, there are some in this room, they've heard, they've taken steps. They're so close. What they know today is this. They need to be saved. Father, in this invitation time, pray that we would examine our hearts where we find ourselves lacking. I pray that we would fall in faith before you being saved, being restored, being revived in faith to follow you. In Jesus' name.